you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The Incomparable, number 679, August 2023. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are talking about a Marvel movie this time. Just uh, it left theaters. It's uh, on Disney+. And now we're going to chat about Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. And I am joined by these fine people to discuss this film. Chip Sutterth joins me. Hello, Chip. Even my butt is capable of podcasting. (laughs) You had to do that one. (laughs) Uh, Brian Warren joins me and Chip. I think I'm doing it this way for some reason. Hi, Brian. Uh, hi, Jason. I Chip stole my line, so I'll just say there's a lot of eating food off sticks in this movie. Mm, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And Kelly Gamon joins me and Chip and Brian. Hi, Kelly. Jason, you know this is an open line, right? We're listening to everything you're saying. <laughs> and Rocket Raccoon joins... No, Rocket <laughs> couldn't oh, make it this rats. time. Uh, hard to believe. So third Guardians of the Galaxy, third and final question mark Guardians of the Galaxy movie. James Gunn has moved to DC. They sort of tease at the end that, that Star-Lord will return, but we see a new Guardians of the Galaxy at the end. So this is sort of like the last ride for these uh, movie characters and their creator, uh, writer, director, James Gunn. Um, I mean, never say never, but it, it feels it feel, feels very much so. Um, I don't know what I was expecting going into it. I I managed to stay not entirely spoil unspoiled about it, but like I saw a couple of trailers that didn't really tell me anything because I think James Gunn was careful enough to sort of say, let's not give everything away. And I got to be honest, I went into it really kind of assuming that everybody was going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not an unreasonable presumption given what we knew about it going in, whether you wanted to be spoiled or not. We knew it was James Gunn's last movie and all of that. And that yeah. one epic shot from the trailer, yeah, yeah. we're showing Star-Lord in blanket in uh, Nebula's arms. You just assume yeah. bad things happen. Yeah, so you 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 they want I mean they they suckered us is what I'm saying. They wanted us to believe that. But the truth is um that uh, nobody dies. Uh it's fine. It's fine because it does what 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 I actually want from this a movie like this, which is uh a good time and uh to feel good at the end of it and i did get to have a good time and i did feel good at the end of it and so i didn't need uh i didn't need some tragic uh ending to make me sad or artificially sad but i will say this and i thought we would start with this uh this portion of of the discussion which is um this movie goes to some darker places 
than I expected, even with the idea that people, are, <laughs> you know, were going to die. And it involves adorable animals and people, but mostly animals being experimented upon by the high evolutionary a bad guy <laughs> let's just say i found it refreshing the high evolutionary is a he's a bad guy he's a baddie he he is not there are no questions about it um and he's evol- evolving all these animals and he is the origin of rocket and in there are i i think some of the darkest and also most touching moments in the whole movie which is the unexpected Rocket Raccoon backstory. Rocket is knocked out and close to death at the very beginning of the movie and really doesn't wake up until the final scenes, but his backstory is throughout. Um, and that I thought that stuff, I thought the stuff with his, his friends in the cages uh, was beautiful and then so heartbreaking to reveal that um, Rocket is the only one who makes it out and we we, we see them all die. Um, did not expect. Boy, that was a ride. Ah. Oh, dang. Wasn't it, though? It's, it is a heavy movie <laughs> compared to the first two. Now, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a bit more, there's more of a body count in this movie uh, sort of in the background. But um, like Guardians 2 with the death of Yondu, um and stuff stuff like that you know it's and the death of his mother in the first movie you sure. know there's some there's some hard emotional stuff that happens in those first two movies but this is a heavy one and it sometimes felt dour to me um i i'm eager to get into it uh with you all but it is it it is tonally very different from the first two i thought it's hard for me because as far as I'm concerned, he's easily the worst villain. He's the baddest for knowing consciously what he's doing. It's mm-hmm. one thing to sort of on a meta level go, I'm going to obliterate half the life in the world. Yeah, that's pretty bad. But when you are looking in the eyes of the creature you are about to obliterate and then proceed to obliterate it with that chamber where everything you know catches on fire... Um, you know, stand there and watch it go through unimaginable pain. And then, okay, now I'm going to put it down the garbage disposal. Like that feels worse. And so he, he feels like hands down at this point, anyway, the worst villain we've seen in the MCU so far, just for that alone. But also he's very one note. Like, you know, there's a reason we saw the little Thanos was right mugs in some of the other MCU stuff, things mm. like that. Like, you know, uh, Killmonger, one of uh, Lisa Schmeiser's favorite villains one in the MCU. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he makes because he has like he has a good idea and he goes yes. about it really, really badly. And there's a spectrum, right? The, the, on one end yeah. of the spectrum is the villain where you're like, oh, I kind of agree with him. And on the other end, there's the villain who's like, like I said, a bad guy and and a high evolutionary is a is just a, a bad guy and he has he has yeah. a, a an ethos but it's like a, a very bad ethos <laughs> and at one he point has, he builds a whole planet he's true to himself a whole planet that's basically a 1970s suburb and then yeah. he's like yeah they didn't work out i'm just gonna blow up the planet and he just doesn't care he doesn't care twisted narcissist all the way down right but he's like mm-hmm. one note and so he's not fun to watch because i don't you told me like from the get-go what he's about so 
most of what he's up to like i know what he's doing i know what he's gonna do and none of none of what he does is interesting it's how other characters reacting to what he's doing is the interesting part in everything he's doing and that's that's kind of not fun because i want a villain to give as good as they get and all he can give me is look at me i'm bad look at me and that was you know kind of his whole thing and so he wasn't a lot of fun but still was so much worse and still like one that i'm really want to know like I wanted him to be a little more interesting than just I'm a bad guy because I'm bad. I'm going to stand here and twirl my mustache, you know, and 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 try, you know, obliterate a planet and then, you know, like do a bunch of animal testing. And it was really kind of frustrating in that. It's funny. I I don't like I would I prefer villains like a Killmonger, but I actually didn't mind the high evolutionary because I don't think having that kind of villain is necessary. And I think maybe James Gunn's decision here was he needed somebody to put impediments in everybody's way and, yeah. and the, they react to the impediments. And, right. um, and so in that way, I kind of, I kind of dug the high evolutionary just cause he's a bad guy. Like he's, he's not, he's, it's almost refreshing. It's like, we don't really need to think about like, well, you know, Zemo's upset because of the people who died in Sokovia. Right. Or, or Killmonger really, you know, he makes some excellent points here while he's killing people. And, and I don't know, it was a little refreshing to high evolutionary. He just wants to evolve everything and, and he, he can never do it right. So he just keeps killing them. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Mad scientist kills lots of stuff. Got it. Um, but I can, I can see the other side. He's not particularly interesting. He's just, I mean, refreshingly just a hundred percent bad, thoroughly bad. And I think it's the other characters were more interesting, I think. And that's part of why I didn't like watching him because I wanted to get back to the other people that were having character development. I wanted to know what was going on there. There were a couple of moments with the high evolutionary that were, that that did make me kind of laugh, especially the, the more like manic and crazy he got and stuff. But one of the things that I, I thought was pretty funny a little bit earlier is you realize he's not a very tall person and they carry a little red stool around. And there's a moment where he's like standing <laughs> yes. and he wants to tower over someone and someone grabs a little red stool and he stands up <laughs> on it and then he starts yelling at someone. That just cracked me up. Now, see, and, I feel like that's a valid point that he makes. Like I need a person with a little red step so that I can go around and do that. <laughs> yeah, that's where we sympathize with his character the most. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's not there to be he's not there to be sympathized with. He's not there to be related to. He is he's not just a bad guy, but he is cruel. He's one of the most mm. cruel villains that Marvel has ever served up. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some value to that uh in terms of mixing it up, you know, maybe maybe if we have too many killmongers, then we don't have any I mean one of the things that his cruelty allows, and this is maybe a plus, maybe a minus in the movie, is <laughs> that it allows our heroes to go really dark as well. Um, they take out an awful lot of people uh, mm-hmm. in yeah. this movie. Uh, and um, although in the end, Rocket declines to just out to just outright finish uh, the High Evolutionary because he's a guardian of the freaking galaxy. Um, every everyone that comes up against them and who's a legitimate combatant in this movie has a really short shelf life, and I don't think you can have that unless. Um, this guy is doing some really, really awful genocidal things. Yeah, definitely a different, a different kind of character. 
Um, yeah, James Gunn is trying to do some other stuff here, right? I think that in the end, the through line is it's about Rocket. It's about people caring about Rocket. It's about Rocket being special in a way that Rocket always sort of denied. Like you could look at Rocket and you're like, he's an evolved raccoon. How, where did he come from? And there's, he says, I'm not a raccoon and I'm not going to talk about it. And of course, in this movie, we find out he is a raccoon and he, I guess, is willing to talk about it and we get to see it. Uh, but, you know, he he's taking his, Rocket's friends get to go on a journey where um, they get to, yeah, sorry, uh, learn about themselves and grow and also blow some stuff up while trying to save their friend. And that's that's the the focus. The focus is on them. And if there is any other character that picks up some of that focus, it's Adam Warlock, who's sort of our number two villain, but mm. but, you know gets over that by the end of the movie and decides that he doesn't like uh, working for the high evolutionary and he doesn't want to do that anymore. Uh, I guess he's not working for him. He's like competing with other lackeys of the high evolutionary to try and prove his worth so that the high evolutionary doesn't kill his people as well. Uh, and that's sort of his motive. It's a little more complex than that, but in the end, he just sort of decides that the high evolutionary is a jerk and he's not going to do that anymore. After he blows, after the high evolutionary blows up his mom, that's I kind of feel Warlock. like it was intergalactic survivor, you know, like, and he just at some point decided to vote himself off the island. Adam Warlock. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah that that's the, I mean, Marvel space stuff is weird and Guardians of the Galaxy uses all this Marvel <laughs> space stuff uh, to do yeah. weird stuff. But Adam, th- this Adam Warlock, I, I kind of like him. He's, 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 he's dumb, uh, but he's very powerful. <laughs> and then, but he's also kind of innocent and he's been shielded uh by the gold people <laughs> so he's very very clueless is mm-hmm. what i think like most of he's what naive. he does isn't yeah it's not a lot of what he does is not malice right you know i'm under orders so i'm gonna go mess this up um you know maybe like the movie and i apologize in advance jason if this ends up being um much like the movie the first time we get an f-bomb on a marvel podcast mm-hmm. but um he wanted to go mess things up and you know because that's what he was under orders to do and so then when he wasn't under those orders anymore he made other decisions and right. i feel like at least at the beginning he was more antagonist than anything else he wasn't like like the b villain or anything like that he just was another sort of agent of chaos at least initially to to screw up everybody else's program and fig- and they have to figure out kind of how to take that on too, which sometimes made it a little herky jerky to me to try and bounce back and forth between everybody's deal and what they were working on and what they wanted and all of that. But um, I appreciated him overall. I thought he was a fun character and I'm hoping that we get more of him in the future because mm. uh, I thought he was kind of fun. To- he was fun to watch and, and he seemed to work really well with everybody else, which was also pretty great. I guess he's a guardian of the galaxy now, according to the end of the movie. Adam Warlock. Yeah, but got, we don't have any more guardians. He's got the little so. out, got a little, little outfit. They got a uniform now, so he's got that. <laughs> going. They're like the Space Avengers. Yeah, we absolutely have more guardians, uh, but we don't have James Gunn's guardians. Right. We have another group of characters that Marvel can probably trot out uh, for future projects. Yeah. You know, at if any they time they feel like it, but. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's an important. I think it's an important distinction that, you know, yeah, in, in we, some we'll levels, get them in a new format. In in some levels, you know, Marvel, fe- the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels a little bit lesser now that we're post. Um, now that we're post Endgame, we're in Phase Four or Five or wherever we are right now. 
um, you know, you've the the big guns, your your Chris Evans, your uh, Robert Downey, um, and such. You know, they've left. The franchise is attempting to move on, and they've left behind stuff that we can work with. Uh, we've got some future Guardians if Marvel chooses to do that. We've got a future Captain America that I've got a little more um, uh, optimism for. Um, we've got all of that other stuff. But um, this really is closure on a really big part of, of the MCU. And it's fascinating to me how Gunn did that with these with these characters, sending some of them off in other places and, and leaving some tokens behind that Marvel can move forward with if they choose to. Let me take a brief break to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Call Sheet by my pal Casey List. This is the new iOS app that answers your questions about TV shows, movie, cast, or crew in a clean interface without spoilers and other stuff you don't want to see. We've all been there. You're watching a show or a movie, and you're like, hey, it's that guy. I know that guy from somewhere. Where do I know that guy from? And so what do you do? You go to some app or website, and uh, lots of things can happen then. You get spammed with ads. It's really frustrating. It's hard to use. Or what if there's a spoiler? You get spoiled about who they're actually playing. Oh, turns out there's a twist. Well, it's ruined now. Guess what? Call Sheet can take care of all of that. Just the other day, I was watching the app after party on Apple TV Plus, and I had that moment of like, oh, oh, oh it's that guy. It's that guy. He was in that show with a robot. Was he the robot? I think he was the robot. Who? Well, guess what? Call Sheet, After Party, ep Season 2, Episode 5. There he is. And it was Almost Human was the name. And yeah, Carl Urban was in that too. Ah, such a relief. But, you know, the best part is with Spoiler Check turned on, if there was a uh, twist... That person isn't in other episodes or is in other episodes or has a secret identity. Call Sheet protects you from all of that. Plus, if I'm really excited about Almost Human and want to see if that's streaming somewhere, I can quickly tap and get a link because it'll uh, use Just Watch to find out, like, where is this thing available for streaming right now? Or you can look at, like, IMDb Trivia. There's so many different things you can do with Call Sheet and all, and this is the key thing, all in a very clean, fast, ad-free experience that respects its users because Casey, who is the one guy writing call sheet, he wanted a really fast, no-fluff app, so he made it himself. And one of my favorite things about call sheet is you can try it out for free. And it's not going to bug you. It's not going to have you make a login. It's not going to have you do a trial. You can find stuff just while in your everyday life while you're watching movies and TV shows. And after, I think it's 10 searches, it'll remind you that there are 20 free searches. When you get to 20, it'll ask you to either sign up for a monthly or annual subscription. There's a one-week free trial for that, so you get another week on top of that. But I think after 20 searches in Call Sheet, you're going to know, is this a better experience? Is this a less frustrating easier to use experience than whatever app or website you were using before to find out who that guy was, I think you will. But you'll know. 
don't let li- don't listen to me. Like you make up your own mind, but you can do all of those initial searches without any commitment, no logins, anything like that. Here's what you do. Go to callsheetapp.com slash incomparable. That's it. Callsheetapp.com slash incomparable to learn more. Download it today. Free. And by the time you need to pay, you'll know. Is it worth it? I think it is. Check it out. Callsheetapp.com slash incomparable. Thanks to Callsheet and Casey for their support of the incomparable. I went into this one feeling so skeptical that I would get the closure that I kind of wanted, or I don't even know if I really, how much closure I really wanted, but I just <laughs> was so skeptical that the story would like resolve itself. Uh, and then the tone of the movie started out so like just with a big gut punch and so like dark and almost sour. Uh, but by the end of it, um, they did kind of bring that satisfaction to me. I don't know. It, I felt a little bit like tricked somehow. And um, <laughs> some people talk about this one as being like a little emotionally manipulated, ma- manipulative. And I didn't quite get that. I didn't feel like they pulled one over on me, but I, I did. Um, I, I, maybe the, the cynic in me just kind of went away and, and I just was kind of happy with how things ended more or less. Yeah, as, as Chip points out, nothing ever ends. In, uh, yeah. no, sorry, I'm pulling from a, a DC comic there, but nothing ever ends uh, in a continuing universe. Like they've, they've, there's always another status quo, and then it can be shaken up in the future. But, um, but I agree. Th- this is this is James Gunn wanting to give these characters uh, an an ending, even though it doesn't really end, and put them in a good place, and also very consciously making you think back to the first guardians of the galaxy movie and and pondering so like um at the the in the mid-credit scenes with the new guardians rocket plays the same song that's playing when we meet peter in the first movie peter goes back to earth and visits his grandfather right like there are all these moments that are sort of like um just just trying to tie things up a little bit uh, and give you some, again, not for the whole universe, but for like the stories that were told in these three movies and trying to get everybody to a uh, an acceptable place. Uh, and, you know, different different characters were on different journeys. Like I would argue that Nebula, you know, one of the, the points of Nebula, Nebula is a villain essentially for most of the first movie. Um, because of Thanos, you know, as you do, but has has really progressed. And so, you know, her story is basically, you know, like uh, Drax staying with the kids on Nowhere. And, you know, and which also wraps up Drax's story about, you know, he was completely destroyed by grief about his wife and, and child. And now he's a, he, he, what is the line? You know, you're not a destroyer, you're a dad, which is just, ah, <laughs> uh, uh, that's so good for Drax. I mean, for Drax, mm-hmm. that is a great I moment. I love Nebula's arc. She was a, a real delight and mm-hmm. uh, in this one and just has been uh, watching her develop as a character throughout um, the past, what, 10 years has been um, pretty special for me. I, I really enjoyed her. As a scholar of the oeuvre of Karen oh, Gillis, yes. um, <laughs> Doctor Who reference drop, um, yes. I, I agree. I feel like she is the secret weapon of the MCU, um, and in in that while it, through her arc in the first two Guardians movies and then Infinity War and Endgame, she just had more and more to do, more and more color and shape. Um, 
at the end of this movie, she's almost unrecognizable from the character that she portrayed right at the beginning. Um, yeah. She is she is funny. She is emotional. She is tough. Um, the moment when she breaks down when um, Rocket uh, is on the com link and confirms that he's alive, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, she Karen Gillan is a gifted, gifted actress that even those of us who watched her in Doctor Who when she was playing Amy Pond uh, back in the Stephen Moffat days, you know, um, she showed a lot of promise and potential and talent, but um, uh, I, I think she's incredible in this role, and I think that it's she's got just amazing acting acting chops. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I believed all of that. I think that's the thing is when you look at, say, the first 10 minutes of Nebula in volume one and you look at the final 10 minutes of Nebula in volume three, if someone were to tell someone unfamiliar this, they look the same, but it's two completely different characters. You could make a pretty valid case. And the fact that it never felt fake or um, inauthentic in some way, like she was just sort of like doing what she thought she should be doing as one of the characters like I'm supposed to be sad because Rocket's in trouble or anything like that like the fact that they had the attachment they had that it meant so much to her to get him fixed that she would go to those lengths like all of that felt legit and you know it's not until you get the callbacks and all of that you know to remind you where everyone started that you kind of appreciate how far they really did come. Well, Rocket's broken like she's broken, right? I mean, they're both creatures who were essentially experimented on. And so, I think that's why they're, I think yeah. that's why she has a special place in her heart for him mm-hmm. and is point. why he has a, a special place for her because he built her that arm that made it so she couldn't get on the ship because she is a weapon. You know, every single one of those characters is broken. Um, Mantis yep. makes the point, except for, in some ways, Drax, the one character who <laughs> doesn't hate himself. Um, but, uh, Nebula, Rocket, um, they're, they're exhibits A and B. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Peter too. Oh, he yeah. shows up drunk yeah. in this one. Oh yeah. Peter, so, um, so I wanted to, I wanted to get to that. Four. I mean, cause, <laughs> cause I could argue that Nebula is fill, well, part of Nebula's journey is filling the role that used to be filled by Gamora. Uh, not yes. the not the romantic role with Peter, although there is that one funny like bit where it's like, "Oh, you two seem." He's <laughs> like, "No, no, 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 no." Uh, but but that's part of it too, and so that brings me to Peter and Gamora, and um, what I specifically wanted to say here is, I think this is one of those areas where the Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn were done dirty by Infinity War and Endgame. Because they kill Gamora outside of the Guardians movies. And it's a very affecting scene. It's very tragic. But it also completely breaks the Guardians of the Galaxy in some ways. And I don't think that... I mean, honestly, looking at this movie, I don't think James Gunn is on board with it because Gamora, first off, they 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 try to make light of it at times where it's sort of like, well, she doesn't remember. Well, no, but this isn't her. So it never really happened to her, which is the accurate one. She's a, a an alternate uh, timeline Gamora brought forward by magic, <laughs> um, <laughs> but she never met Quill. And so she doesn't have that relationship. OK, fair enough. It's a sci fi thing. She's it, it, oh, OK. Um, 
I don't think Zoe Saldana's heart is in it, honestly. Um, I don't think Gamora is nearly as interesting as she is in the other movies that she's in. And I think part of it is that uh, how do you play this character who has is is retrograde has fallen backward to where she was in the first movie and progresses only very slightly as a member of the ravagers and then the way that the relationship with chris pratt is handled i also don't love it um he we meet him in the beginning of this movie as radiohead's creep is playing which i thought was great uh, on the zoom brown zoom uh by uh by rocket uh he's he's uh, drunk again because he's crying because he lost Gamora. Um, and yet he perks up real fast. I never really sense that he's actually mourning. And it's more like he's in this kind of weird, awkward meet again, cute thing with mm. Gamora when she comes, but this is not his Gamora. And I, I don't know whether the movie is making it like, like, cause Quill, although not the smartest guy, I mean, he's got to understand what the deal is here. And yet he's got this, I, I don't know. I was very frustrated by this entire thing. And I, I kept, the more I kept thinking about it, the more I thought, well, this is not how the story's supposed to go. And James Gunn is just looking at what he's been handed by those Avengers movies and said, all right, I guess. So what he does is he writes Gamora out and he has Peter kind of get over it as the movie goes along. And I, I was frustrated by all of those choices, but I also understand that, that, you know, that was forced by other movies in the franchise, essentially. Does anybody else yeah. feel this way about it? Cause I like the more I talk about it, the more angry I get about this part of the movie. <laughs> well, a couple of, a couple of related thoughts to that. Um, I think, Chris Pratt, you know, I, I I used the word dour before, and I feel like Chris Pratt's performance in this movie is fairly dour and um, cynical and nihilistic, maybe. Um, and I think part of that is the hand that he and James Gunn were were dealt. Um, but I'm also reminded of something, um, you know, I haven't seen the Jurassic world movies. I haven't seen a lot of that other stuff, but I'm reminded of something that, um, Linda Holmes from pop culture happy hour, uh, said about him in a recent review, feeling like he's, he used to be a more wise cracking, more charismatic uh, figure on on screen around the time of the first two Guardians movies, and that there's something a little more there's a, there's a, there's a, something a little more grumpy, uh, a little more grumpy that's you know not charming grumpy like uh, Harrison Ford, but there's something grumpy grumpy about uh, how what he brings to the table in um, this movie, and I think part of that is him, and part of that is where the character's been left. The other thing I wanted to mention was. Uh, in rewatching this, I made the mistake in retrospect of preceding this wa watch through with the Guardians of the Galaxy ho holiday special <laughs> and the difference between Chris Pratt in that one, which is still sort of a uh, down and cynical, but they don't get into the Gamora of it all mm. um, in the holiday special. Mm. And then the opening, you know drunk at the bar um and being carried out and stuff you know it's just it's 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 a tonal whiplash but he is he was a lot more fun in those first two movies than mm -hmm. the character has become now agreed i think part of what when i what i read in he's drunk at the bar was um sort of this is what he thinks he's supposed to do because he didn't get to do 
he didn't get to live on earth and like know culturally what grieving is supposed to be like and what happens next and how you get through it and all of that so you know probably all he knew as a kid when he got beamed up was like um you know people get sad and they go get drunk and cry and then they kind of get over themselves and so that was kind of the vibe i got out of that which is 100 percent headcanon um but i but part of what i really liked in how they did it was not uh like i know they had to do what they had to do because of the other movies but i really appreciated the moment when gamora has finally had it and says i basically like i can't be who you need me to be i'm not who you need me to be and like no matter how hard he's trying rather than just trying to charm her all over again he's still just trying really hard to make her be somebody else which technically is true and I feel like at that moment, their relationship pivots. It still makes me kind of irritated because it could have been a lot more fun and interesting and and great to watch. But in that moment, it sort of feels like he just sort of lets go of the image of this being his one true love and just sort of appreciates what she does bring to the table and that's kind of if, if I'm remembering the sequence of events correctly, that's sort of where we start getting to see everybody's sort of secret superpower and how every member of the Guardians has some really awesome thing that they get to contribute. And, you know, we get a, sort of a little highlight reel for each individual Guardian about a thing that they can do that's awesome. I agree that the way that Gamora ended up going into this movie was was pretty disappointing. Um, but I'm glad that there wasn't some love story that we ended up having to like suffer through also. So the <laughs> sure, hand agree. that, that, would that be James Gunn was dealt was kind of like kind of crappy. Um, but I think they resolved it. Okay. Uh, it just, we just don't really get to see too much of an arc happen with either Gamora or uh, Peter uh, aside from just them kind of like Kind of, kind of coming to terms with it and just dealing with it. It does feel like a. We didn't need a a love story anyway. Like had had she survived, um, Infinity War and Endgame, like we, this this movie would not have been a love story either. Um, and it would have right. just been kind of on the sidelines. Yeah. So I think, I guess I was disappointed by the way it was handled because I almost feel like maybe James Gunn felt that he needed to replay or pay tribute, like he hadn't allowed peter quill to grieve on screen and properly and so he wanted to do that because i kind of would have rather it been awkward between them uh and and him be kind of coming out of it rather than being all mopey about this and then mm. awkward around this gamora too and in terms of emotional beats i mean she does get to a point where she is more sort of like begrudgingly accepting of him um, which is fine. I mean, really emotionally, all I wanted out of this was for Gamora to say, I understand what she saw in you. Right. And then that's yeah. it because she doesn't, she, it doesn't like, she understands it. She's not trying to deny it because that's the thing that's killing him is that she's denying yeah. that there's a connection between them and all. And he knows that there was, but I don't know. I just thought it was weird. And, and it just struck, yeah. struck me as being one of those things that like with all the advantages of the interconnected universe and all of that, <laughs> here is a disadvantage, which is the, an amazingly, uh, actually 
sad and and well handled scene, which is the scene between Thanos and Gamora, where he sacrifices her uh, in order to get the Soul Stone, um, is in a different movie. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And then and this movie has to pick up uh, deal with the fallout from that. It's like, oh well, all right. But but here's this new Gamora who is part of the time travel shenanigans required to solve the plot of Avengers Endgame. Like, okay, I guess we'll do something with that. I don't know. Not one of my favorite things in the movie, I guess, is what I'm saying. In fact, it felt almost they find her in the with the Ravagers, and it's really like, well, we can't not have Gamora in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but she's moved on. The movie refuses mm-hmm. to let her. She's like, all right, come on, come back in. We and the gotta... only time they're going to have any conversation about their relationship is either during a battle or when they're wearing those Among Us suits. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is, though. It's that the movie won't let her, like, the movie won't let her be who she is. It's not just Peter. I yeah. didn't think about it like that. But that's why it continues to irk me, even though I'm like, that was an interesting way to handle it, was her saying, I can't, I'm not who you need me to be. I can't be who you need me to be. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's what it is. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So I wanted to mention Rocket and Bradley Cooper and the performance of whoever, all the people who are CGI, you know, motion capturing and creating Rocket as a character. The the movie... I remember when they announced that they were doing Rocket as one of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the first movie. And it was like completely CGI character. How is this going to work? And and I've been around long enough to know, all, hear all the debates about like, oh, CGI characters, uh, are they going to work? And Rocket like totally worked. It's like he was there on the screen. He was real. Mm-hmm. He was must have been in the, at the set and he's a CGI character. So here it's like James Gunn is wrapping up that part of the story too, which is the opening scene is rocket listening to creep by radiohead on the zoom while he walks around nowhere. And it's a, it's a long, uh, unbroken shot, uh, where rocket is doing all sorts of things. And there's that moment where I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that character doesn't exist. (laughs) And it is just, I mean, James Gunn is doing, uh, doing wheelies at this point. He's doing donuts in the parking lot. He is just, I feel like that he is showing off. Is like, look, remember this character that is the emotional center of this movie, if not this series, and he doesn't really exist, but look how yeah. real he is. And I thought it was amazing. The counterbalance to that is another CGI character, Groot. So great in the first movie. The comic, amazing comic relief is Baby Groot in the second movie. And I just wanted to, wanted to say it, Kind of, kind of a nothing in this movie. He does some stuff. He's helpful, but like yeah. he's neither he's an emotional Spider Groot. I yeah. liked him as Spider Groot. Yeah, Spider Groot was fun. Sure, but he's just not an emotional character, nor no. is he a comic relief character so much. He's sort of the muscle, which is mm-hmm. fine. But like, you know, I like I, I do like the moment where he he actually says something other than I am Groot, just because 
again, this is like the end of the end of the series time to yeah. do that. But I was disappointed that there wasn't sort of more and better Groot throughout. Um, but that's okay. The rocket stuff just blew me away. That that they I I appreciated the movie reminding me just yeah. how a, a living character Rocket is. And as you said before, you know, almost entirely in flashback. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Other than that first, I mean, the first scene establishes Rocket and gives him that whole moment to do that. But then, then yeah, he's knocked out by Adam Warlock, right? And, um, mm. and and is then out of the game other than the flashbacks. He's more of the MacGuffin at that point. They're trying to get the, he's got a security system, so they got to deprogram his security system so that they can fix him and all of those things that are going on that leads you down the plot path of this but um, but we get those. I mean, oh my God, the stuff with um, Lila. That's Linda Cardellini. You might know oh. her as Mrs. Hawkeye. She's the voice mm-hmm. of Lila, yeah. the Otter. Freaks I guess. Um, yeah. Heartbreaking. And and then there's the there's the Walrus and Teeth. the, the Teeth. Uh, yes and the um and the cyborg and bunny floor. and floor floor yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and and as you said before you know that whole last bit of the flashback is so heart wrenching. Um, I mean, it's bad enough that it's, uh, cute, fuzzy animals. Um, and you know, animal endangerment is, uh, you know, a trigger for a lot of people, but, um, but I mean, this movie does have something to say, not shockingly about uh, animal experimentation, right? Like all of that, what this movie Mm -hmm. is very clearly saying. Right. But that, that when, um, when Lila and Teeth and Floor are killed, and it's just really sudden and brutally unfair and rocket <sighs> breaks down um yeah and it, it through all of that you 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 see exactly who he is you know he he uh, he mercilessly guns down the people who come after him in that moment and you know it has perfectly demonstrated how he got to be who you saw in Guardians of the Galaxy uh volume 1. Mm-hmm. Um so uh I I would be fascinated to see how scenes like that were done given you've got Sean Gunn who plays Craglin is also the on-set uh rocket. Right. Mm-hmm. And seeing I, I would be I would be fascinated to see the shooting of that particular scene with with, with Sean Gunn wearing a Wearing a green suit, you know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> How is this done? Yeah. Does the does Sean Gunn do any of that emoting? What does it look like? You know, obviously the, the it all comes together uh, in the CGI, but I'm just fascinated to how that character is created. Yeah, i I got very strong Toy Story vibes from this bit when when he makes the friends and they're all kind of parts of other things and get assembled. And, you know, and initially Rocket is really freaked out because look at him, but they turn out to be really kind. And, you know, um, Mantis has a moment later when she says, I was screaming at something behind <laughs> you that was scary and it wasn't you at all. Yes. And you you look cool. And <laughs> like that, like all of those, all of those, those moments of um, like, it just, it gave me Toy Story, which honestly gave me something different to think about for a second because it was really hard to sit through some of those parts because it was just brutal um and it i really liked 
being so invested in it though like i you know i've I've watched more than one movie featuring characters that didn't have the development of lila teeths and teeths and floor you know Mm -hmm. and they were i was so invested in them immediately and it didn't have anything to do with them being adorable you know because like (laughs) an otter with robot arms kind of not the cutest thing i mean she was she was very sweet and i loved her by the end but you know, just to look at is not like, oh, what an adorable little cyborg otter. And it was, and so just being so invested in them and that's a group effort, you know, it's the CG people who turn them into something real and it's the the voice that tells you that this is a, a character who's trying to be nice to Rocket and all that. And it was really, it was really hard to to watch them go, but it made it really nice when they came back there at the end. You mentioned you mentioned Mantis. Um, I also want to uh, credit Palm Clementif in this one, as well as the holiday special before it. Her her existence in Guardians Volume Two was to just absorb all manner of abuse. She <laughs> is um, she's she's the butt of a lot of jokes and um, and, and all that. She has her moments to kick ass in uh, in this as well as the holiday special. Um, and, um, and, and it's just given more to do. So while some of the characters like Drax, I feel like get just, they just Drax and Groot just do Drax and Groot things for the most part. Yeah. Um, there, there are too many characters. There are too many characters that have to do too many things in this movie. Um, as long as it is, there's still just not enough time, but Nebula gets more stuff to do. Mantis gets more stuff to do. Um, very, very interesting characters. Rocket and, uh, and is, of course, the heart of this movie. So yeah. there's a lot of development going on in some places on, in this movie. Yeah, Mantis was more of a plot element in volume two. Yeah, and then, she's and, not really a character as much. And then they're left with her and she's part of the group. And I got, you know, and so here she she does yeah. get something to do, including one of my favorite bits in the whole movie, which is they find the uh, the horrible monsters that have been set after them. And she oh, uses her empathic batteries. powers to be like, they're just afraid of us and what we're going to do to them. They're fine. Uh, and yeah. then she, everyone th- gets that moment. Yeah. And then at the end, she gets to go. She goes off with them. <laughs> She's like, yeah. we're going to have fun over here by everybody, which is uh, which is uh, great. I wanted to mention um, some of the locations uh, in this in this movie as the plot goes on. There are various sort of uh, uh, plot uh, sections where they're in various locations. They infiltrate <laughs> Orgo Corp, which is a weird organic <laughs> space station oh. where everything is sort of fleshy and it's guarded by these guards in weird puffy outfits including Nathan Fillion um <laughs> i i as as production design choices go I thought it was amazing. They're all in their multicolored suits, which they then dump into space, and that's not so good. <laughs> but Orgo Corp itself, it's so gross and weird. I, I, I just not like, just as nowhere doesn't look like your normal sort of space setting. I think one of the challenges with a space movie is how do you keep everything from looking like Star Wars or Star Trek or something? And one of this, these locations is this Orgo Corp space station that's just fleshy and gross, and I kind of loved it. I kind of loved it too, but my note on this is fleshy planet is universally icky. It, and it it (laughs) creeped out my kids too. I was watching it with them and they're just like, you could just hear them like, Oh, and 
I don't know. I, I, I got to I got to hand it to them. That was <laughs> it is gross, but it's also pretty cool. And I think like Guardians of the Galaxy in general has done a pretty decent job of this. We got nowhere for sure. Kind mm-hmm. of a weird. Yeah. Alien it's head like planet. Deadhead. Yeah. Ego's planet was also super very, weird, quite mm-hmm. unique on its own, too. So I, I, I I'm set design or whoever's doing all the uh, Ralph McQuarrie art or something for this <laughs> is doing a good job. Yeah, it was super weird, which I appreciated. It was super duper gross, and I couldn't wait for them to be done there. But <laughs> I really, it was just, oh, I just, everything just, I think part of it was just the sound design because I was watching it kind of loud, and like everything was like sticky, and it just, oh, it was so awful. And so I was really glad when they got to leave. I was, I was extra sad when when the spacesuits went out into space because I'm like, oh god, now they'll be there longer. Um, <laughs> but, but I really liked, uh, but I I liked that it was weird, just like nowhere and all of that. I really like that one of the things Guardians of the Galaxy does really well is lean into the comic booky part of being a comic book yeah. movie. And the and the super like Marvel, like I said this earlier. Marvel space comics um, were influenced a lot by Jack Kirby, and, um, and they're just acid. super. They're just <laughs> super weird and kind of gross, and and like they've taken that and and put it in these movies, which I think is really great. Um, the the pub the bubble guards or whatever they are, right? They've got this. They're they look ludicrous, and Nathan Fillion <laughs> is there, and and yet they're characters, and they're just trying to do their jobs and all that. But they're they're um. They they look ridiculous in a in a fun way. They're like who? What? Seriously? Those are the guards? Okay, I guess those are the guards. And I enjoyed. I mean, seeing he's Nathan he's the boss's nephew. You yeah. know what are you gonna do? That was cute. Yeah, everybody's That's, got a dumb guy we, on their we've, team. We've all got one. <laughs> That's. Um, and then they go to Counter Earth, which is also fascinating because Counter Earth is, as I mentioned earlier, kind of a. Uh, where they at land, at least it's it's like why does it look like the Earth? Like, don't ask too many questions, Peter. Just it does. But it's it, he the high evolutionary has created an alternate Earth that is populated by various uplifted animals who are living in suburbs and driving like Earth cars and outside an Earth city. And this has been his experiment to see if he can create an Earth based on evolved Earth animals. It's a bananas idea. You can see where it comes from. Obviously, in the in uh, the Marvel comics, I believe this is one of those like on the opposite side of the sun from Earth. There is a counter Earth that is like us but <laughs> yep. different, right? It's yeah. one of those. But here, they're just like, look, he made another Earth. Don't ask why. And it's full of like rabid people. <laughs> Don't ask why. He's a villain. This is what he does. But it leads to some really fun stuff where the people come out, the animal people come out and they, they're like, why did this giant spaceship land? And it's the guardians of the galaxy. And they go into the house and they talk to the husband and the wife and they take the car. It leads to, as Kelly said, the, only f-bomb in the marvel movies up to now until the deadpool movie comes out where you get your you get your one and they use it in hilariously in get the get in the effing car is open the, the effing door yeah because <laughs> yeah. that's it because it's it's literally just uh well, i'm gonna complain about the the design of car doors from doors. the 70s <laughs> it's like just get in a car uh but like again just very quirky choices, and I kind of love it. I, it doesn't make a lick of sense, but that's okay because it's a super villain. He does stuff that doesn't exactly. make any sense. It's a great sense. framing device yeah. for some very funny moments. This was actually the part where it did lose me a little bit, mm. um, and I am usually on team just throw more weird stuff a- at it. <laughs> 
What, but you? No. Was Counter-Earth a little too far for you, Chip? It, Counter-Earth just sort of uh, dipped into that uncanny valley for me or whatever, um, because it is a big and weird piece of Marvel Comics history. You know, they set, a, they set an entire... Uh, Spider-Man animated series on it, uh, Spider-Man Unlimited, um, which I'm given to understand was not particularly good, but um, it's just so big and weird. And it takes up, um, it takes up like maybe a quarter of this movie. The high evolutionary is this dude who does genetic experiments. And then somewhere along the way, he figures out how to make another planet. And somewhere along the way, he also, with one line of dialogue, explains that how he has all of a sudden magic gravity powers Mm -hmm. that can help him kill all of his uh, toadies and things like that. Um, It's just too big and weird and disjointed for me. I think disjointed (laughs) is the big is Mm -hmm. the big thing for me. This is a long ass movie. And, yes. I, and I just don't feel like the the whole thing holds together as well as some other overlong movies that we've had uh, in the MCU <laughs> before. Um, and, and I'm not I'm, and I, I'm not entirely sure why that is, other than the fact that this long disjointed movie has to pick up pieces from earlier movies that weren't part of the trilogy. And that the stakes, you know, compared to Infinity War and um, Endgame, you know, this really, really long movie doesn't have such high stakes other than to complete the story of James Gunn's Guardians of the Galaxy. So what I'm hearing, Chip, is this is a phone booth too far for you? (laughs) It's it's it's. It's it's it is a little bigger on the outside, bigger on the inside than it needs to be for that act. I think. I still liked Counter Earth. Uh, watching Drax try to use a couch was was still too silly. It was it was the good kind of silly for me. Yeah, I I appreciated those moments that reminded us why we were watching that we were watching a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and why we were watching one. I thought that was kind of the fun bits of it. You have you you, you have nailed it for me there, Kelly. Is that? <laughs> That it was a moment that reminded me that we were watching a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and what makes a Guardians of the Galaxy movie are two things: the characters, mm-hmm. largely check, and the vibe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that it nailed the vibe that I was looking to mm. from Volumes One and Two. I think the Counter Earth section in particular has a lot of great stuff in it. I think the problem is that as it goes, it gets intertwined with this kind of like ratcheting plot where you've got characters kind of like leaving where they're supposed to be and not being where you think. And so it's like Quill's not on the ship uh, and they are on the ship and all of that. And and it's all because it's leading into that final showdown because what happens is that they meet the high evolutionary he gives his talk right that's never going to be the most exciting part of the movie um and then he orders the uh planet blown up which i think is a, a great moment of like wow he is really bad um and then and then we're off on on his ship so i i feel like it, it counter there's like the part of it that's the that is the vibe and then there's the part of it that's the plot and the plot part didn't work as well for me as the vibe part did i did enjoy yeah. the vibe part the plot part leads us to the high evolutionary ship and we have the whole show down there and we discover that he's got 
a bunch of children and he's got a bunch of uplifted animals and uh and that is a messier part of the movie it it holds together but that's where it starts to feel a little bit ramshackle to me Uh, Mm -hmm. is in there where there's sort of like a lot of doubling back and we need to get these things to be in the right places to resolve the plot. And I think that it's not, it's not quite as interesting there as it is. That's the part that felt overlong to me, especially now I'm going to offend some people here. I'm pretty sure because they obviously put this (laughs) Uh, thing on. Let me find some pearls to clutch. Yeah. They obviously put this thing in the movie because they felt like they needed more of a shoot 'em up action piece in the movie. But there's that section where they're in the ship where they're like in a hallway and they play the most obvious. uh, There's the most obvious needle needle drop. (laughs) <laughs> which is No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah. And then there, for about, I don't know, somewhere between two and 9,000 minutes, everything mm-hmm. blows up. Yes. And then literally they leave there and they're walking down another hallway. It, it is the most gratuitous, unnecessary, yeah. from the music to the violence, it doesn't need to be in the movie at all. And I can't mm-hmm. decide whether somebody insisted, James Gunn insisted to put it in because he had to do all this cool stuff or whether they felt like the movie was a little light on explosions and shoot 'em ups and they were going to give a little more Guardians action in that moment. But it's so, I like, while I'm watching it, I'm sitting here thinking, why are we doing this? And when yeah. it ends and it doesn't mean anything and it's completely pointless, Right. I I really asked myself why is that in the movie? So maybe somebody can yeah. tell me why it's in the movie. It felt it, it 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 like you could carve that out and be like this is what all the people who don't like Marvel movies are complaining about because yeah. it doesn't need to be there. Why is it there other than it blows stuff up real good while music's playing? I know why it's in there. I, why? I think the reason it's in there is it's the only time we get to see the guardians all fight together. Yeah. Now that doesn't, now that's just a rationalization, I suppose. Like they could have done that on their, uh, the goo planet. They could have done it in other places, but this is the, I think it's the that's only time true. we get to see They could have like, done it on do nowhere it. right at the beginning. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, true. you're right. I, but it's, it's the vibes again for me that, mm-hmm. you know, what is it about the guardians, of the galaxy? Is it because, is it, they are funny and cheerfully profane, uh, sort of the counter to the the normal Marvel Cinematic Universe, or are they just a bunch of badasses? And that is an over-the-top, extended badass moment, and that's not why people fo- fell in love with Volume 1 and Volume 2. No. But if you watch this movie, the reason people fell in love with Volume 1 and Volume 2 was a bunch of people walking slowly with music playing. <laughs> this is the most overcranked MCU movie ever. I noticed it a bunch of times. So my yeah. answer to why why we had this sequence with No Sleep Till Brooklyn is because we didn't quite fill our quota of walking slowly to a popular song. And because that's kind of what it felt like yeah. in that moment. Um, I really liked other pieces of it, but I think because um, because the whole ship crashing into Earth, cr- crashing into counter Earth mm. um, made everybody have to do a round of musical chairs. I think that's the part that lost me because most of what happened on the ship wasn't interesting until they found all the kids and all the other animals because everything was just disjointed and everything was up in the air and everybody said this is where they were going and then nobody ended up being there when everybody needed them to be. And that's the part 
that was the part that lost me. I really wanted to spend more time with Counter Earth because it was kind of interesting to find out that no matter how uplifted everybody is, there's still people and people going to people. And, you know, do, I get what they were saying, but... Why do Drax and Mantis leave the ship? Because Drax has a feeling. In other words, <laughs> Drax is given the idiot ball and it's well, his turn to hold he, it. He had a bad feeling about this, mm. which... I appreciate it. <laughs> but at the same time, um, yeah, didn't I like it quit making sense at that point for all the stuff that felt legit and earned. There were parts of this where I'm like, wait, what? And then the next thing I knew, everybody was in a different place. So I kind of didn't care anymore. Yeah, they're they're leading on Drax being unreliable, which is fine. It's funny, but it's also being used in order to do that. While, while I'm uh, complaining about things about a movie I actually liked, I, I will also <laughs> say... Um, the speaking of the music in and that particularly kind of eye rolling needle drop in that scene, I don't think the the music selection in this is as on point as the other Guardians movies. It's not Same. bad, but the other Guardians movies, especially that first Guardians movie, the music was perfect. And yes. this one, there were a lot of them like, eh, okay, I guess. Um, they, they also, I think there's this mixing of eras that I find, like, I understand it on one level. They've been back to earth. Peter's gotten more earth music now to listen to, but on also his on, on his, his zoom, zoom, which is hilarious. But, um, but in some moments it really killed the vibe for me, especially when they had some stuff that was a little more contemporary. And I'm like, okay, like logically I understand it, but I don't actually like it because the guardians of the galaxy, this is not the vibe. The vibe is like real old school stuff. So I didn't, I didn't love the music selections as much. And honestly, I know that seems weird, but like that's one of the strengths of this series. And I felt uh, uh, let down a little bit. There's only one needle drop that works for me and I'm sure we'll get to it. It's oh, a cinematic okay. mixtape, and the first two were great. This one was fine. I think yeah, that's the down. difference to me. Like, yeah. it's fine because every one of those songs in in the earlier films, whether it was necessarily popular at the time or not, is still sort of a classic song. And I have absolutely nothing against Space Hog or In the Meantime, but it's not a banger. And like every single song on the earlier ones to me was uh, my apologies to Space Hog, but I just don't think it's up there with some of the other things that could have been chosen for that moment. Yeah. All right. During the airing of grievances part, yes. I'll, I'll go ahead and mention <laughs> mine too. Get your, Please get the poll. Um, part of the reason I guess Peter went into the ship was to go get the the jump drive out of that guy's head. Right. And, and I think the part that I, I realize there's a fair amount of like shooting and killing of bad guys there. But when he jumps out of the window or he throws the guy out the window, jumps out to grab him and then Groot like airplanes him into the ground. And then he just like, Peter's just like holding him against the dirt and just like super murdering him. And, and then uh, drowns him and, and then, then cuts him. into him. Yeah, I know. Like it seems really unnecessary. Mm. And at that point, that that's what we're, we're all talking about things that really pulled us out of it. And the super murdering of multiple times of the same person did it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think you got him. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I, think you, I think you took care of that one. Yeah. And you know, if you've seen some of guns, other stuff like his, uh, like his suicide squad movie, like, I mean, okay, here's the thing. I'm not, I, 
I admire James Gunn. I think he's got a point of view. I think he was a great hire for DC because I think he understands why people like superhero movies and that there are different kinds of superhero movies. This is a thing that Zack Snyder, I think, never really understood. I think I think uh, James Gunn does. I think he's a he was a good hire for DC Comics. Mm-hmm. I will also say his taste is not my taste. He even in the first Guardians movie, which you know I. I didn't I, I kind I came to like more when I watched it a few more times, but initially parts of it just really left me cold. I, I'm I sort of accept that, but there are definitely moments in this movie that remind me that there's some stuff that James Gunn does, and some of it is about uh the particular bits of ultraviolence, even in a Marvel context, where I thought, nah. I mean, like like the shoot 'em up in that one hallway, uh, and the multiple murdering of the one guy. It's like it's yeah. not for me, and I get that it's yeah. it, you know his his style is not congruent with mine. I appreciate what he's doing, but there are always moments in his movies where I'm like, mm, no, Mm-mm. yeah, it's just a tonal thing. It just yeah. it, it, it that would be fine in Peacemaker. It just doesn't fit here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is another reason why I think he's actually a good DC hire is that I I think actually having his sensibility in, in that universe is a maybe a better fit at this point. Um, but I also think yeah. that he's again. I'm not trying to to damn him with faint praise i actually think he was a great hire because i do think that as a creative person he really gets why people like these characters in these movies again in yeah. a way that i don't think Zack snyder ever really did uh sorry Zack snyder fans don't email me i don't like his work <laughs> uh and i think that him being in charge of dc is why those movies were so bad anyway it take like four hours to read anyway yeah, well, and they, and let's not forget the uh, the Wonder Woman movie that's really great up into the point where there's a Zack Snyder fight scene in it. Anyway, um, I wanted to mention like we, we we should get out anything else we want to talk about here. I'm I'm gonna throw in um, a, a couple of really quick things. Um, well, I mean, the one I wanted to mention is that one of my favorite weird Marvel characters is Cosmo the dog. Yeah, the telekinetic talking <laughs> the via a, a, a Russian dog. Um, Cosmo is in this movie has a lot of dialogue. I was very surprised by that. There is a running bit about Craglin calling her a bad dog, <gasps> bad dog. and she the ultimate insult. For a especially for a golden dog. retriever, yeah, she right? can't handle that. <laughs> I love, I, I love yeah. it, and I love that moment where she uses her telekinetic powers to bounce the rock around while Craglin has been struggling to do the little whistling thing uh, <laughs> in order to get the uh, Yondu's little uh, little missile to zap around and and get things. But of course, then Craglin gets his moment to shine later on yes. in the movie, and 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 that's fun too because Sean Gunn is you know the director's brother, but also sort of like yeah. a minor character gives him a little moment to shine but just Cosmo loved seeing Cosmo very happy about that anything else we haven't talked about that you all want to bring up now is the time Yondu we got him for a minute yeah we got a little a little a little button like for everybody I think Mm. Um, you know because Yondu is such a big part of of one and two Uh, you know and so we got a little nod to him I think that was part of the setup with the whistling which I really also very very much enjoyed um we got another bit with howard the duck who was playing cards with them as cosmo was continuing to uh bemoan her fate of having been considered a bad dog and like all of that was super fun you know we even got to you know we cosmo got a moment that was the thing i liked about this like cosmo got a moment uh after 
uh, Craglin said she was a good dog and completely obliterated the the thing that was coming for him after he had done a whole bunch of butt kicking with the magical missile. Uh, you know, once we got Yondu, we got uh, discovering that Drax could speak this language that all the kids on the ship spoke. Oh, yeah. And so good he was moment. able to help them out. Um, we discovered, you know, Mantis with the battery eating creatures down there, you know, and she got to have a moment of like, I have this, you know, I have a thing that I can do to help. Yeah. And, Empathy. you know, seeing, yeah, seeing how all of the people, <laughs> seeing how they all fit together and and having each of them have that moment in the spotlight of why it is that they, what it is that they contribute. You know, this is kind of how they earn their keep. Like this is their contribution to the Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's why they can be what they are is because each of them has this thing. And I had just a, I will forever have a, a special place in my heart for when Nebula is glaring because you know Nebula um, at Drax and says why didn't you tell us you spoke this language and he said why didn't you ask <laughs> yeah which I also really appreciated you know everybody kind of having to um, you know admit failings and 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 really show up you know and, and and showing up for each other which is you know a big thing with the Guardians anyway and you know we have that moment of uh you know why do you care so much well because he's you know because your family well what about him well so is he you know and and those bits um i really liked but making sure everybody got their moment in the sun was the part that i i really really enjoyed and they both got like a butt kicking moment and then also like this is you know this is sort of my latent talent that isn't necessarily butt kicking but is also an awesome thing that i can do and i really liked getting to see all of that on display Maybe I'm just a softie or something, but it, they did. Everybody got their moment without it feeling like a bunch of fan service, and I, I guess that's why it kind of won me over in the end. Yeah, I think I'm probably the one with the most um, with with the most grievances to bring to the Festivus poll uh, today. <laughs> but um, in the end, you have the needle drop with uh, Florence and the Machine. The dog days are over. Yeah, and um, I, you know, tears just stream. Um, I really love that song. I, and, and between the send offs for the various characters, the pitch perfect reunion between Peter and his grandfather and things like that. Um, as, as, as much as I found to nitpick or just be unhappy about, uh, for much of the movie, um, it is a perfect cathartic capper to three uh three really three really good movies um two of which i think were great um um i i was perfectly expecting the second time around for my tear ducts not to be engaged and um i was i was surprised I am, I I like that moment, but again, this is what I alluded to earlier. I don't think the Florence and the Machines uh, song, which is a song I like too, fits the vibe of Guardians of the Galaxy at all. And I didn't like that they used uh, such a modern song in that moment, but I guess maybe that's the message is that they've reached the present day and run out of movies to, or music to make mixtapes from because we've reached the end <laughs> of the story and it's, and it's the present day. But that, that, that bugged me. Um, even though I did think it was a nice moment, uh, the song selection is just like, so not 
the how I think of the Guardians of the Galaxy um, song selection going, but that's fine. It's you know it is a nice moment. See, I took a whack at the Festivus Bowl there too. <laughs> I I'm still on the fence of whether I kind of you know that I kind of wish Peter had died at the end mm. when he was all frozen. Um, it, it was funny the way that Adam Warlock saved him. You know, uh, just by uh, doing the whole the full Michelangelo Sistine Chapel ceiling kind of scene. Yeah, um, that that was adorable, I suppose. Um, but. <laughs> I mean, the, it was cool getting the whole reunion with his grandpa at the end. So I, I guess I'm okay with it. But um, plot wise, I think it would have been probably a little better if Peter had died. Mm. I, I think I, I I think I agree. And I think Chris Pratt is not ready to give up the character. And Marvel, and and Marvel may that, be not be willing to give up that character yeah. just yet either. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, but if 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 he's if he's without a contract, uh, you know, if they if uh, if they unless they threw a lot of money at him, he could have walked away. Um, sure. And, and I don't think he wants to. And so I think that that's another one of those pieces that sort of determines where these characters go. Dave Bautista is done with Drax. Yeah. Zoe, Zoe Saldana's, Saldana's done. Yeah. She's, she's done with Gamora. Some of the other characters that walked away at the end, um, uh, you know, maybe if Marvel asks real nicely, um, and, and if they if they want the work, maybe they'll be back. And we've and we do have a we do have a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Four group there, but it's not a group that's going to carry a movie. It's going no. to show up in the background also, in some future. Not to not to uh, uh, bring the the rest of the Marvel overhead in here, but like. With the acquisition of all of those characters that were previously licensed to Fox, Marvel has so many properties that are huge and untapped that I have a hard time imagining that the Guardians of the Galaxy will be anything other than a footnote or a cameo in future things because, and they they may appear, but like as their own movie, three seems like that's going to be it because you've got the Fantastic Four out there. That's a very mm-hmm. cosmic kind of thing. So they may run mm-hmm. into uh, characters from the Guardians of the Galaxy and that's fine. You know, obviously- you got to reboot the X-Men. Uh, exactly. We got the X-Men yeah. and everything that goes with that. And-, and Honestly, given the current state of Marvel movies where it feels like they're really kind of still having this hangover from Endgame and the loss of so many of those characters, it's hard not to imagine that the next cycle, creative cycle of Marvel movies is going to be a lot of X-Men and Fantastic Four because those are characters that are uh, just ripe to be well, dealt with and and we so, got the m word we finally got the m word back sure so yeah, yeah mutants are now back. that people can say it there's a whole there's a whole bunch of intergalactic shenanigans on the horizon yeah. where yeah. people are going to cruise by the bowie and wave at it and that's that well if if the i mean uh, and on top of this and I, I i don't mean to turn this into an episode of downstream for you jason oh but, boy uh but but uh, as <laughs> Because they are finding more constraints in what they can do with television, with the uh, number of, with the amount of money that they have to throw at uh, Disney Plus series, you know something like Guardians of Galaxy, you know the the new Guardians characters, maybe they might have considered uh, throwing uh, 
short TV series at them for Disney Plus, but I don't even think there's no. room for that anymore. No, especially not with two CG, all CGI characters. I don't think that we're ever going to be anything that could exist on the TV budget even before, but certainly not now. It's true. But I, yeah, so anyway, I think, I, I imagine that there will probably be more cosmic Marvel to come, especially because of the Fantastic Four. So we may see some of these characters again, um, but uh, yeah. but it's a it's a it's a farewell, and I think a good one in in all. Uh, it, it sort of looking at it collectively, I did not like Volume Two, honestly. So I was relieved that I liked this movie because I I didn't enjoy the second movie in the series, and I I loved seeing the Guardians in um Infinity War and Endgame. I thought that that was uh they they tried to match the tone of the guardians movies and did it really well and that thor was a good connector and so i was hopeful that i would be back with uh, sort of happy thoughts about guardians in volume 3 and i was so i i'm i'm happy about that i think it's a i think it's a fun movie that also parks you know parks the characters in a in a good place again nothing is forever in connected universe storytelling but james gunn did what he wanted to do and you know he he'd been playing with the toys for a while and he put them you know he put them down so that's a, that's as good an ending as you're ever going to get in Marvel movies, I think. All right. Thank you uh, all for talking about this movie with me. And uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. Let me thank my panelists one more time before we go. Um, Brian Warren, you are a good dog. Oh, um, open the effing door, Jason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Chip Sutterth, also a good dog. I want you all to know that I am grateful to podcast beside my friends. <laughs> Kelly Gamont, you bad dog. No, you're a very good dog. <gasps> I'm here to be a good jube jube. <laughs> uh, thanks to everybody out there for listening. We'll be back next time with something completely different. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>